You understand the importance of enabling Republican candidates in Pennsylvania. At Get Elected, we focus exclusively on helping Republican candidates run winning campaigns. Visit getelected.org to learn more. It's that time again, folks. It's time for the elephant in the room here on WJAS 1320 AM. Welcome. I'm your host, Sam DeMarco. I'm joined by my trusty sidekick, Robin to my Batman. That's John Schneider. And we have a treat for you folks today because I am going to get at least seven words out of him, even if I have to ask him to say yes seven times, okay? <laughs> but we're actually going to get him to speak today. Also have our trusty producer, Dazzling Daryl, the guy behind the board that makes sure everything happens, handles our calls, gets this all set up, makes the magic happen so that you can listen to us and hear from us. In addition, we have a special guest today. And for the folks that follow the Republican Committee, I mean, it's been a while since the Republican Committee of Allegheny County has actually had a candidate for city council here in Pittsburgh. My gosh. But we have one today. His name is Gene Boker, and he's running for city council in District 5 in a special election to fill the remaining term of uh, resigning Councilman, new county controller, Corey O'Connor. But folks, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. First, I'd like to send a special message out. Our thoughts and prayers are with all the folks in Florida who are suffering from the after effects of Hurricane Ian, which really I mean, hit that state with uh, the, the force of, I think uh, Governor DeSantis said, you know, a 500-year flood type event. We've all seen it on the news I don't know what the you know casualty count will eventually be, but uh, it was a significant storm, a terrible event, and uh, for all the folks down there, you know our thoughts and prayers go out to them, and uh, we wish them the very best as they look to recover and rebuild. So <coughs> now let's talk about the elephant in the room. But, but the elephant in the room is it politics, or is it when Mike Tomlin? <laughs> is going to finally put Kenny Pickett in to replace Mitch Trubisky, right? I mean, really, is that the elephant in the room? You know, is it that or is it, uh, you know, is it uh, Dr. Oz finally catching up to John Fetterman in the polls, you know, and looking very good as we head into the fall election? So I don't know, which one is it, John? What do you think? I don't know. I'm pretty excited about Kenny Pickett being a, a Pitt alumni like you too, so. I got to say Kenny Pickett. See, folks, we got seven words out of him. Now, hey, John, you know, I mean, the whole Pickett thing, listen, I'm a fan, but I also understand that it's not all on him. Yes. Okay? What's going on with this whole Matt Canada thing? You know? I mean, uh, he did a great job a few years ago when he was at Pitt as the offensive coordinator. Yes. You know, Pitt was averaging like 41 points a game. But now with the Steelers, I don't know if if the step up in competition – because pro football, I mean, they are the best of the best. Of course. I mean, these players are faster, bigger, stronger, the whole bit. And maybe the time it's taking, you know, for these plays to develop is certainly hampering the offense. So, I, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. It's early in the season. I think it's too early to tell. But um, I like their chances against the what, Jets this weekend, right? Yep. Jets and Zach Wilson tomorrow they play. And uh, looking forward to going to the game, you know, and hope uh, we can bring home a winner. Because, uh, you know, really worried about this. The offense is certainly looking anemic. And the defense, without T.J. Watt, I mean, it seems like we don't have a pass rush, right? So, right. <clears throat> so folks, you know, uh, for many of you, that is the elephant in the room. <laughs> you know, when is Mike Tomlin going to make that decision? For but for week. us here at the Republican Committee of Allegheny County, we're concerned about things that go beyond, you know, the 2022 football season. And those are really the future of our Commonwealth and the future of our country. And that's what we're here to talk to you about today. So um, let me introduce my guest here, uh, Gene Boker, candidate for city council. Gene, welcome to the show. Welcome to the elephant in the room. Glad to be here. Um, we're glad to have you. Now, hey, why don't you get, tell the folks out there you know, a little bit about yourself and why you're running for city council here in Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh- been uh, currently a resident of 31st Ward of Pittsburgh. 
Uh, that's where I grew up. And where is that? People outside the city of Pittsburgh <laughs> okay. have no idea right. what these wards mean, right? right. Uh, 31st Ward is Lincoln Place and Hayes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Council District 5, which I'm running for, includes uh, Lincoln Place, Hayes, New Homestead, uh, Hazelwood, Greenfield, Squirrel Hill, and I understand a little sliver of uh, Swiss Elm Park. Okay. Okay. And uh, I... Uh, Currently living there, and uh, I, uh, I'm old, <laughs> and uh, we, we all are. You're among friends here. <laughs> uh, what do you call it? I have a bachelor's degree from Point Park. At that time that I went, it was a college, not a university, and I also completed an MBA at Indiana University uh, of Pennsylvania out at the Monroeville campus. I've gone to schools here in Pittsburgh all my life, Mifflin Elementary in Lincoln Place, Taylor Alderdice High School in Squirrel Hill, and then uh, Community College over on the north side for an associate's degree, Point Park for the bachelor's degree, and then in, out in Monroeville at IUP for the MBA. Okay. Well, it's, it sounds like you're certainly prepared. I mean, you have a life, lifetime worth of education here. So tell, tell us a little about your work history. Okay, well, uh, I, I and I sorry because I see you were chief financial officer. Yeah, uh, well, I, I pretty much worked my way through college with blue collar jobs. I worked at Isley's as a porter, dishwasher, and then c- c- counter person. I worked at a place in Southside. Well, called- hold, hold on just a minute. I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm <laughs> going to interrupt. Right, it's our show. Isley's. There's a name that comes back. I mean, that's true. Um, Pittsburgh, uh, Americana. I mean, chip chopped ham, barbecued beef, Klondike's. Skyscraper cones. Skyscraper cones. I mean, the whole the whole bit there, right? Yeah, I did it all. I mean, that must wow. have been a, quite an experience. I mean, you're, I mean, because that was such an, I don't want to say integral part, but I mean, when you, folks, longtime Pittsburghers, and you know how we are, Pittsburghers, right? Yeah. When you get directions, you say, hey, how do you get from here to there? They tell you, well, go to where, the high school used to be, right? <laughs> I mean, well, it's just like, I, I can't tell how many times I've had folks talk, trying to give people directions out in Oakland and say, oh, well, go out there right across from where Isley's used to be. Yeah, and okay. It, and directions are always in minutes, not miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 So tell us a little bit about that experience. Oh, uh, well, that was the, actually I started when I was still in high school there and worked that summer. Uh, I wanted to go to college and I needed the money. My parents were divorced. And uh, my mom had a low-paying job, so I had to pay my own tuition, and that was uh, the job I had. I was at uh, the Isleys in Homestead. At that okay. time, there were actually two Isleys in Homestead a block apart. I mainly worked in the one closest to the uh, Amity Street. And, uh, again, uh, I uh, washed dishes, uh, cleaned tables, unloaded trucks, uh, stocked shelves, and then I got a big promotion to the Connor where I served uh, ice cream and uh, dished out lunches and wow. uh, cut uh, ham and salami and uh, whatever else they had at that case at the time. Well, good for you. <laughs> you know, I think there's something to be said here with folks who worked in the service industries. I mean, my first job was as a dishwasher, you know, for a restaurant downtown, if you remember Klein's restaurant. Oh, yeah. It's okay. on 4th Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. It had the big lobster, the neon, like, lobster side there, right? And my mother was a kitchen supervisor there. So I got hired. Shh. I was 15 years old when I started. You know, right before my 16th birthday, right? And, uh, I mean, but I, I, what I'm going getting back to is people that have worked in the service industry and have tried to please customers and clients, you know, I, I've met a lot of them here in politics because – you're trying to serve and, and please your constituents, you know, and, and, and there, there's some sort of similarity there, I think, in, uh, you know, wanting to help people, you know, and uh, so tell us a little bit more about, uh, I'm sorry, I was interrupted. Uh, uh, that's okay. Well, th- that uh, was the uh, summer job, and I made enough uh, money there to pay my uh, tuition the first year at community college. Uh, next, uh, I did work on and off. I cut grass, I shoveled walks, anything to make a buck. I washed cars and waxed cars. Uh, the next summer, I got a job at a place in Southside called Bressler's as a fryer. They had these two great big vats of oil, and uh, I fried uh, the crab. They used to lady, have ladies get the crab, deviled crab, and put it on an aluminum shell mm-hmm. 
and I'd fry those along with haddock and uh, uh, chicken. And uh, the fryer pans were maybe about uh, three feet by two feet, and I dumped those at a big fryer and uh, cooked it all up and then put them on the shelves for the ladies to uh, wait till they cooled down and then package them and then send them out to the stores and the supermarkets. That was tough in the summer because those fryers were boiling hot. Oh, and, bet. Uh, I, I used to come out of it sweating like crazy. Well, you know, I mean, so so you, so you're a, a Pittsburgher here, you know, born and bred, and you come from humble beginnings, okay? Uh, so what leads you today, at this point in your life, to say, hey, you know, I, I want to get into elected office? Yeah, well, the last time I walked into the uh, polls and went to vote, I'm looking at the candidate for city council, and I said, wait a second, this is deja vu because the last time I voted – Four years ago, there was only one person running for that District 5 council seat. That was Corey. And uh, here it is four years later, and it's the same thing again. Mm-hmm. I says, really, people need a choice. So I said, well, if nothing's going to happen, I'm going to give it a shot. I was always interested in politics and always wanted to do it. So I went downtown to the election bureau, asked for the paperwork, and they gave it to me. And uh, here I am now. Well, good, good for you, Gene, and, and thank you for stepping up, you know, and wanting to run for office. And you know, again, <clears throat> that's a great point you make. Trying to give people a choice, okay? Because when you go to the polls this year, that's what they're going to be doing. They're making a choice, and you know, I hear different things in regards to different candidates. I try to explain to them that, I mean, elections are, are binary choices. You're picking one or the other. So, you know, doesn't doesn't mean either of these folks, you know, are what in your mind would be the perfect person, right? But they do differ in the vision that they lay out as to how they want to serve in the position and the principles and values that they want to stand for. Now, as the chairman of the county party, I'm aware of a lot of the problems that we have in the city of Pittsburgh. The ever-increasing crime, okay? the homelessness that we're seeing on our streets, the mental illness, you know, uh, the lack of manpower, you know, in regards to our police force, the inability of the city elected officials to stand up and get behind, you know, our law enforcement officers, right? Um, I mean, you have to just, you know, look at some of these areas and, you know, Southside is just one. I mean, they've had almost 90 shootings, since January, okay? You know, something needs to be done. So what's your vision? If you were elected on November 8th as the representative for this seat, you know, how would you serve? How would you differ from Councilman O'Connor? Well, uh, Pittsburgh City Council, nine districts, I understand every single one's a Democrat. There's Mm -hmm. no diversity right there. So hopefully if I'm elected... I could rock that boat somewhat. How much I'll be able to rock it, I don't know, but I think that it definitely needs rocked. Uh, the police department here really hasn't had good city support. I think a couple of weeks ago there was a shooting in a football game where somebody got shot, and they were interviewing the mayor, and the mayor was asked a question about the, the number of police officers available, and he just dodged on that mm-hmm. question. Uh, I've heard that uh, the next police academy class won't be graduating probably for another year and three or four months. Uh, and uh, the, the fact that the mayor dodged that question, uh, there's probably a serious uh, staffing problem within the police department with uh, trying to get new recruits given the, the way that people are tr- the policemen are treated as well as the guys that are on the force that are fed up with the way they're being treated and want to mm-hmm. retire as soon as I can. So uh, I certainly want to stand behind the police on that. I mean, the way it's going, I mean, every other day there's news about a shooting either in Pittsburgh or the surrounding uh, right. metropolitan area. It's getting as bad as Chicago, and we've got to try to stop that with uh, proactive things with crime. A lot of it's done by juveniles, and I think we need to have a lot of before and after school programs for kids so they don't get caught up on the streets and uh get sucked in with that gang activity and have activities for them to do. Uh, 
and uh, that would be one thing for uh, looking at trying to get solutions like that. Uh, when I worked, I worked for four years for Allegheny County Mental Health, Mental Retardation, mm-hmm. uh, Drug and Alcohol as a, a field auditor and then later as an audit supervisor. And uh, they have a lot of good programs for drug and alcohol rehabilitation. A lot of the homeless have drug and alcohol mental health problems. A lot of people don't know about the services that are available in these areas. And I think there needs to be some proactive. I mean, a lot of them, uh, I imagine, don't want to help, but you have to try to get them to accept their situation, try to get any family they may have involved in that to get them the kind of treatment they need that'll get them out of that situation and to be, become productive members of society or at least help themselves. Well, we have a, um, there's a homeless shelter that's going to be opening here very soon. Second Avenue. On yeah. Second Avenue, right? So, you know, hopefully we'll get some of these folks off the street. But what many people may not realize is many of those folks don't want to leave the streets, okay? Yeah. Um, and they need help. But some won't accept it, okay? So we have some some big problems here. One of the disappointing things, I think, and this goes back to the last administration, is many of these people that are out there that are homeless on the streets, you know, either suffering from mental illness, drug addiction, whatever, they're not even from here, okay? They came here because the mayor, Mayor Bill Peduto, the last mayor of the city, right, uh, you know, was living in La La Land, and telling these folks, oh, you know, you're all welcome here. Yeah, we take care of everybody. Meanwhile, the quality of life for residents of the city of Pittsburgh is going down the tubes. Crime. You know, one of the great things about the city is we seem to have been on a little bit of a renaissance there. We had uh, people building homes or, you know, housing uh, by renovating buildings downtown. I mean, you have folks living, you know, in the Fairmonts, some of these other office buildings, the old Coffins. You know, uh, you know, Pyatt uh, family went in and had a number of projects. So people were moving down there. You had restaurants. Or you had a vibrant nightlife, you know, before the pandemic, probably about a year before, a year or two. But then the lack of emphasis on public safety started leading to problems. We had shootings. We had knifings. We have robbery. We have aggressive panhandling. I mean, a, a number of things that make the city of Pittsburgh no longer, you know, um, a place where all would want to visit. You know, and there's a lot of great things to do down there. So what would you change or what would you try to change if you were elected on November 8th? Uh, well, uh, what do you call it? This gets back to what I was saying about the policing and the understaffing of the Pittsburgh Police Bureau, trying to get more proactive with that. Uh uh, trying to get the uh, homeless off the street would be a good idea. When I worked at Catholic Charities, they had uh, two homeless shelters, uh, St. Joseph's House of Hospitality up uh, on Bedford Avenue in the Hill District, mm-hmm. and they had a woman's shelter out in Brookline called Mary House. Yeah. Uh, that one had to be closed because we just didn't have enough attendance there to warrant keeping it open. But uh, St. Joseph's pretty much has a rule that uh, if you have drug or alcohol problems, they don't want you in there because the, uh, the people that are there have overcome those issues and they don't want anybody coming into there that is going to reintroduce those kind of issues. So there has to be a lot of proactivity on trying to get people help. Uh, you know, sometimes family members, they get so fed up with a relative or uh, even a you know child that's uh, either hooked on drugs or alcohol right. or things that uh, – Okay, uh, this is tough love. You're on the street. Uh, but trying to get uh, the local nonprofit organizations involved with uh, casework to go out and uh, talk to these people and try to get them to accept this help. The help is there, but you have to get the people to it. Okay, okay. So having decided that you wanted to provide the people a choice, so you went and got the papers, you filed a to be a candidate here, okay? Talking a little bit about some of the things that you would be able to contribute. And I would, it would probably strike some of the people listening here that as a Republican, you're compassionate, okay? <laughs> and, and I say that uh, jokingly because, you know, I like to think of myself yeah. as caring and compassionate as well. 
we just believe a little bit differently from some of these folks is to how to actually deliver compassionate care. You know, it seems that the left, they just want to throw money at a problem, okay? Whereas folks like myself, and I don't know, maybe you feel this way, but would like to direct the money we spend to programs that are benchmarked and deliver positive outcomes. So, you know, let's take the money that's already being spent, let's steer it toward the programs that work, and let's take the additional money from the programs that don't and put it in the ones that work. Because that's the thing. For every dollar that goes out the door at the city or the county level, there's a hand attached to that. Outstretched, wants that money, okay? Uh, So how do you take and, I don't want to use the term claw back, but how do you take and, and say, look, you know, you have to deliver better results or we need to take and, and, and allocate that funding, you know, in a different direction. How, how would you handle that? Well, uh, part of that funding comes from the city. The other part, it comes from the county. And uh, what do you call it? Uh, when I worked for a county MHMR, you know, we had, I was a field auditor. We went out and uh, monitor the compliance with all the mental health, mental retardation, drug and alcohol mm-hmm. contractors as far as the fiscal a- uh, areas go. They also had uh, uh, technicians that went out with social work degrees that uh, looked at their case files and looked to see that uh, the type of uh, social work that being done to try to get these people rehabilitated from drug or alcohol problems or mental health problems, they would look through the case files to see how they do that. And now that was back in the uh, 70s uh, when I did that, and I'm sure they still do that to try to uh, monitor the performance and the taxpayers are getting the biggest bang for their buck. But what you said uh, before that, you know, right now money's just being thrown at a problem. What are they exactly causing the problems? Because you could throw money at a problem until you're blue in the face. But if you're not dealing with the bottom line cause of that problem, it's not going to get solved and it won't get any better. Right. I, I think when we look at many of the problems that the city has, I mean, we have to be flexible with the solutions because like, well, I talk about not throwing money at the problem here when we're talking about some of our social ills and how do we address those, right? Crime's a little bit different. I mean, one of the big problems we have in crime, I, I believe some of it has to do, well, there's a combination of things. Everything's complex. Nothing's ever easy. Or it would have been solved by much smarter people than you or I years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just say myself, me and John. You're a smart guy. You were CFO, okay? But where I'm going with it, I guess, is like, like a crime, okay? Every police zone in the city of Pittsburgh, they know who their top 25 most violent you know, criminals in that zone are, okay? Why isn't the mayor working with the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, and all the other agencies, you know, Attorney General's Office, District Attorney, to try to take those 25 folks off the streets, right? I mean, if you did that in the five in the five of the police zones here, you'd have a distinct impact on violent crime here in this city. You, you would make people feel safer, and you would take and enhance their quality of life. Why isn't that happening? Uh, well, uh, over the years, you have uh, an evolving of people, uh, I guess, with the liberal uh, philosophy of your constitutional rights are sacred. Uh, in New York City, you had Mayor Giuliani who had the stop and frisk policy. Right. Okay, And crime went down a good bit whenever he had that in there. Now that he's gone... I mean, look what's happening yep. there. We see videos almost every other night of oh, people getting attacked on a subway terrible. or a street, yep. just waiting for a bus or a subway. And, uh, you know, how do you put that back in when people were saying, okay, you know, the, the liberal, liberal left has sort of started their war on police officers where, you know, community policing, no police officers, if they can't do that, then their hands are being tied. Right. And uh, whether or not that can be reversed and have people accept policies like Giuliani had are going to be uh, a tough thing to do, I think. Well, Giuliani, the, the policy of stop and frisk w- w- really was born out of his uh, broken windows policing, right? 
and that you know you have the right to do whatever, you, you know, utilize all of your other rights. Yeah. But if you break the law, yeah. even if it's just a broken window, mm-hmm. you're going to be held accountable for it. Okay, yeah. because there has to be accountability in order to I don't say teach people lessons, but to let them know when they're overstepping their bounds. Right, yeah. and now where you look at these generous cat no cash bail policies and these things and they're saying hey uh no charge for shoplifting if it's under 500 dollars up there or you know a thousand out in the west coast i mean this is insane you know the incentives that you're providing people you're not disincentivizing them you know and that's an issue now hey i want to hear your answers and hear more of what you think we need to do when we come back from the break folks this is the open in the room on 1320 wjas we'll be back in a moment with campaign season in full swing, hardworking committees around the country are fighting for every vote. Get Elected helps committees prioritize their activities, determine which voters need their attention, and what they need to hear to vote Republican. Visit getelected.org to learn more. Welcome back, folks, to The Elephant in the Room. You're on WJAS 1320 AM. Sam DeMarco, your host. I'm here with one of our guests here, Gene Boker, candidate for City of Council in District 5 here in Pittsburgh. And we were just talking before the break we were talking about crime and some of the problems that we have in the city. And we were talking about, you know, what we could do with them. I had mentioned that I thought the mayor should be partnering with many of the other law enforcement agencies, such as the attorney general's office, uh, the U S attorney's office, the FBI, uh, and so on to try to target, say the top 25 most violent criminals in each of these zones to have some sort of impact on crime. And then we were also, we started talking about the young folks, okay? And a lot of the crime is being committed here by a juvenile. You know, we talk about many of those shootings on the South Side. Many of those are committed by people, you know, young or even under 21. Uh, the county last year, I believe, uh, closed down Schumann Center. So now when a juvenile is arrested, there's no place really here to send them. So, so many of these judges are putting them on house arrest, you know, electronic monitoring, and then they're just letting them off early. Many of these kids have gone on to reoffend and commit more serious and more violent crimes. So in our conversation here off the air, Gene and I were just talking about the dissolution of the nuclear family and how that's played a role. So Gene, why don't you jump right in there? Yeah. Well, as we were talking before the break, uh, a lot of, you know, I had talked before about more before and after school activities for kids. But uh, with the nuclear family just coming down to a lot of single-parent households, uh, you have less supervision. You know, the parent has to go to work, and uh, the young person's left alone for a lot on their own, and they get sucked up with uh, peer pressure uh, gang activity. And the next thing you know, they're out uh, with drugs or even worse. Uh when I was younger, I mean, we feared our parents and they had corporal punishment in schools. Nowadays, you know, you can't lay a finger on a kid, so the kids are fearless. They don't fear their parents. They don't feel fear the uh, school administrators. And they pretty much, it's like the lunatics running the asylum. It, it certainly is. And I think, you know, um, with the dissolution of the family and so many single parents raising kids, and then the cost of living today and trying to raise these children, right? The, the, the single parents, they're out there, they're working their rear end off. They're coming home, they're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And many times they're just trying to get by, you know, I don't want to say with the minimum, but, you know, kids can, they can push it. I know I did when I was a kid, right? I mean, I was blessed. You know, I had two parents, but, uh, you know, I know I would push things as far as I could. You know, until I got the look from my dad to let me know, you know, sergeant punishment was coming, not corporal punishment, sergeant punishment was coming if I didn't back off, right? So, but that's not happening today. Yeah, my old man used to do this to me. Oh, the belt. Yes, yes. And boy, what I... (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, you knew, right? You you knew, and it was accountability, okay? Uh, Today... That would be called child abuse, okay? Absolutely. And, and you know, kids would be threatening their parents. You touch me, I'm calling CYS and things <laughs> like that. And, you know, 
really, uh, all you're trying to do is to put some accountability, you know, in their lives. Uh, we have some distinct challenges, and we have some problems there. If someone's listening to you on the show today, and they would like to help you, or by donating money or volunteering for your campaign, Gene, tell us how they would go about it. Uh, well, we could sure use uh, people to go out and canvas the neighborhoods. Uh, we have uh, pamphlets to hand out uh, to people. Uh, one of the things is that uh, Pittsburgh is a heavily democratic city, so huh? it's uh, going to be a stair climb all the way. But uh, we're hoping that enough Democrats are now disillusioned because uh, it's a, essentially one-party rule in this city, and they see it deteriorating with the crime and the shootings, and they're, I think they're ready for a change. That's, I'm hoping they're ready for a change, and uh, if they want to volunteer, they can get the Republican Committee of Pittsburgh. I have flyers going out with my email address on them, and uh, they can contact me. Uh, the email address is G is in golf, B-O-K-O-R, 49, at yahoo.com. I know Yahoo, that's for the old guys. <laughs> hey, I have an AOL address. <laughs> so. And uh, uh, we certainly would help uh, people uh, handing out pamphlets and willing to go talk to people, talk to your friends about uh, an opportunity to get some diversity on city council for a change. Well, I think it's important. You know, it. I think people make too much of um, Democrat and Republican, particularly at the local level. You know, uh, in Washington, you know, these guys can go to opposite sides of the room and they could just fight with each other or not talk to each other, and that's okay. Our lives here still go on. <clears throat> but you on city council or me on county council, I mean, people expect us to work together to get things done because if we don't, the roads don't get fixed. The snow doesn't get cleared. The trash doesn't get picked up. The, you know, 911 calls don't get answered. So we don't have the luxury of, you know, playing politics and going to opposite ends of the room. We have to work together in order to deliver for our constituents. Because when you're elected, you represent everybody, not just Democrats or Republicans or independents, right? <clears throat> so when I think when we're running out there, for us to be successful, we really need to focus on the issues, you know, that are that are present in our neighborhoods, in our districts, you know, the things that people are concerned with, whether that be crime, whether that be lack of accountability in education. I mean, let's face it, Pittsburgh Public School District, my gosh, right? Every time you turn around, uh, they're raising taxes and things like that. Their enrollment is decreasing but their budget keeps increasing. I checked the other day, they're spending over $31,600 a student. Think about that. $31,600 a student based upon their budget and the number of folks enrolled. I mean, this is absolutely insane, right? Uh, you know, I mean, we really, people need to know that we have to come up with a plan that will give them choice. Now, I don't know if you know, but over 5,000 students have left the Pittsburgh Public Schools in just the last three years. Yeah, I wish I knew how many of those were dropouts, unfortunately. Uh, that, that's, that's one of the big problems, uh, the dropout rate, I understand. And a absolutely. And I think, you know, what's happening, these kids are dropping out. And then what happens? I mean, the proficiency I saw, the proficiency in math in the Pittsburgh Public Schools, only 31% of the Pittsburgh Public School students are proficient in math and only 49% are proficient in reading. So in both of those categories, they're in the bottom 50% of the state, but yet they spend more than almost any other district in the state, okay? You know, I don't know how that they can, you know, stand there and just uh, continue to ask for more when they're not delivering on this. And, you know, you're talking about the kids dropping out. Yeah. Where do they go? Because if they're exit, they're quitting school early, yeah. and the school's not training them and educating them. I mean, we're they're either going to be on assistance or turn to crime. Yeah. I okay. Mean, they, they used to go to the military, but now the militaries even have problems trying to get uh, qualified people, and they've lowered their standards where 
they will accept somebody without a high school diploma. Right. Well, I mean, I think so. Uh, I know many of the trade unions, okay, uh, offer apprenticeship programs, you know, and they're happy to take a look at folks and provide them with the skill sets, the training necessary mm-hmm. for people to get good, you know, good paying, family sustaining jobs, right? But how do we make that connection? How do we get those kids and prevent them? Prevent them from making a poor choice, you know, meaning, uh, you know, getting into crime, okay, <clears throat> that would hinder them from being able to take and uh, be able to accept, you know, these opportunities when they, they come, come available. Yeah. Uh, back in the uh, 70s, my first job out of college was with a uh, organization called Pittsburgh Opportunities Industrialization Centers. That was uh, located at the Hill at the Fifth and Gist and uh, Forbes and Gist, and they had uh, training programs. Uh, back then, there was uh, a lot of money being put into those sort of things for job training. And I don't know if for some of you older listeners that remember the uh, back then uh, it was the Black Construction Coalition, where mm-hmm. there were barriers for minorities getting into trade unions, and they had special training programs to get uh, the technical know-how for them to get uh, up to speed on the knowledge so they can get into the unions. And I was the uh, contract account for those government grants. They also had a uh, contractor bonding revolving fund uh, program where minority contractors, when they bid on like construction projects or things like that, they have to put on a performance bond that they, you know, can, if they bring they go on their work or something like that, the bonding company has to make good on it. A lot of those minority contractors didn't have the money to put up those bonds, so that organization put up the money so that those minority contractors can get those contracts and then getting the kids that were getting these uh, trade skills into their jobs and getting them uh, thing. But that sort of dried up, and I'm never not sure why when I, I left to go to the work of the county then, and uh, those programs folded up. So maybe something like that, again, couldn't work to get the well, we, training to people that drop out of high school and get them some kind of further education to be productive. Well, we certainly need to look at it because while, yeah. while like I said, while there's been an exodus of students from the schools with the exit of uh, 5,000 students, and there hasn't been, you know, any decrease in the number of employees. You know, not one employee was furloughed. Not one building has been closed. You know, and 5,000 students represented almost 18%, you know, of their student population, right? So not only has not one employee been furloughed or one building been closed, but their budget actually increased. How does this stuff happen and people not go to jail? Uh, well, the old, uh, well, I know they're using the inflation as uh, one of the... Uh explanations how true that is i don't know yeah but you know yeah. what the people that they take their money from are also suffering <laughs> yeah they, they with they inflation yes. they never seem to care about that especially you know the seniors i mean you know, they uh, their pensions are pretty much the same hopefully they'll see an increase in social security this year but it certainly won't make up for uh i think i saw something uh four thousand dollars less earning power now than a year ago forty two hundred bucks yep because yep. of that. And, uh, yeah, I feel for seniors that can't make their school tax payments. I mean, uh, that's a shame. Well, it, it certainly is. And we hate to see anybody potentially lose their homes. But, yeah. you know, there has to be some sort of, uh, you know, reckoning. These folks act like money grows on trees. You know, as our parents reminded us, you know, all too often, hey, money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> so, we talk about these challenges. Talk to me about the seniors in your district and what their major concerns are. Uh, well, a lot of them, again, are concerned with uh, crime. I mean, they see those things on air. There's a lot of, uh, whenever I was doing some canvassing uh, in Squirrel Hill, they're concerned about vandalism and property crime there, uh, as well as uh, I think there were a couple of shootings. Even I think one rabbi student was uh shot right just off of Murray Avenue. So they're concerned about the increase in crime in that area. Uh, where I live in the 31st Ward, uh, 
they seem to be a little bit more drug activity and people concerned with that because mm-hmm. when you get more drug activity, you get more crime. Exactly. And uh, that, that's that there. Uh, other areas have their own issues. Uh, uh, I know down in Hazelwood with the development of uh, the Hazelwood Green, uh, that's a good thing and it's also a bad thing. It's good that it's bringing more business activity, more opportunities into the neighborhood, but as uh, more well-paying jobs are brought there, uh, rents are going up and there's gentrification where people that are the long-time residents can get priced out of a rental housing and or even trying to buy a house. The affordable housing is a challenge, yeah. and it seems like the mayor and so many of those folks on the left don't understand supply and demand, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And it's like any time a developer comes in and wants to build something, you know, they run to them like, hey, it's the you know somebody to fleece, okay? And demand that, hey, yeah, oh, great, yeah, we, you want to buy something or build something, but, you know, we want you to give us X. We want you to set aside 20% of these units that may cost three or $400,000 to build, and we want you to give them away, yeah, you know, yeah. for pennies. Yeah, so what developers are going to want to do that because, you know, they're in business to make a profit and return uh, money to their investors who want to take a chance on that investment. So... Yeah, and uh, dovetailing with that, there's now what they call inclusive zoning, where mm-hmm. you have, like, let's say, a dead-end residential street, and there's two empty lots at the end of the street. Well, they want to get it to the point where you, so you could come in and just designate those two lots at the end of the street for a high-rise. So you have these people on the street and their single-family homes, and all of a sudden you see a five-story uh, apartment building going up on the end, inclusive zoning. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, it's certainly not good for the neighborhood, I don't think. That's what uh, Trump warned us about back yeah. in 2020, you know, about uh, Biden and these folks. We're going to try to do this stuff here, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, listen, I've, you've been answering, you've been very kind and gracious in answering a lot of my questions. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to talk directly to the listeners and tell these folks out there exactly what you would like to say and what you want them to know about you and your candidacy for this seat. Okay. Well, I'm sort of a background as a numbers guy, and as far as transparency goes for uh, the city, I don't get much of it. We just passed a tax a little while ago, a park tax, that's going to a nonprofit organization, which is something unique in and of itself, and I don't believe there's any representation on that board by anybody, any elected officials. So I'd like to see at least two city council members sit on the board of that nonprofit that's getting that uh, tax money. And I'd also like to see some public disclosure about how much is they're getting, uh, who's making decisions on where it's spent in what neighborhoods and mm-hmm. on, on what uh, projects. Uh, the same thing has to go with the uh, Rivers Casino money. Uh, I don't know the exact fears I've asked, and I get various anywhere from $8 million to $12 million the city gets every year for the fact that the casino runs in Pittsburgh and it mm-hmm. pumps money back into the local community. I have no idea who makes those decisions, how they're made, and where that money goes and how it's spent. I want to find that out, and I certainly want to make that public. Uh, parking revenue. Uh, Peduto put in a lot of bike lanes in the city of Pittsburgh, took away a lot of on-street parking, so that parking revenue's been lost. I like to know... I've asked around, I can't get a figure. How much has been lost and uh, how it's going to be made up? Uh, out in uh, 31st Ward in Lincoln Place, we have a swimming pool that's been empty for three years now. The first excuse, or, or more that I know of, first excuse was, well, we don't have money to pay a lifeguard. Then it was COVID. Then it was uh, no more money, and uh, we can't find enough lifeguards. I understand the swimming pool in uh Greenfield has the same issues. Uh, we have a historical picnic shelter out in uh, McBride Park in Lincoln Place. Uh, the roof has been off it for 15 years. It was vandalized, and uh, we're told all the time, there's no money, there's no money. Well, you got a park tax, you got casino money. Why can't somebody find forty or $50,000 to put a roof back on that shelter? And uh, there's a lot of other things uh, that uh, people that I... When I canvassed 
uh, tell me about, again, in Squirrel Hill, it's uh, vandalism and uh, property crimes, uh, drugs and Hazelwood, uh, shootings all over the place. And it's a lot for one person to address, but I'm hoping to be able to make a dent in some of that, mm-hmm. especially well, the transparency, because right now it's like city council's the good old boys club, and you can't get much information about how decisions are made there and for what reasons. Well, I can't remember the um, the name of the poll. It's on the north side, oh, okay. but it's closed. It was closed, and there had been a wealthy businessman that had offered to pay to have it opened, Ganey didn't even know about it. It had never been given to him, the information to his staff. But, you know, here we are, we were just a few minutes ago, we're talking about crime. We're talking about trying to give kids something to do to keep them out of trouble, and yet our recreational facilities aren't open because this money is being spent elsewhere. I'd like to know how much money is being spent on their social justice and their racial justice and their environmental justice programs. Because I remember when Peduto was in, it seemed like every other day they were taking and hiring some new uh, executive and putting them in a staff position that didn't exist previously. And it's like, and they're paying them six-figure salaries. You know, if yeah. that money, how could that money be used to take and, uh, you know, fix and get these pools back up and running? So that these kids and families, you know, can enjoy some recreational facilities here in the summer. Yeah, uh, diversity is good, but I think it's been carried too far to the extreme. Uh, let's say you need open heart surgery; you got to have a heart valve replaced, and you got your choice between two doctors: one who's sigma cum laude from a famous medical school; he's got thirty years' experience; his success rate is ninety-five percent. You have another doctor who maybe uh, just barely got through medical school. The success rate is only 80%. Uh, and you got to have a heart valve replaced. And let's say one is black and one is white. Now, which doctor are you going to want to do the work on you? What's going to be your primary decision? The color of that doctor's skin? or his background, his education, and his experience? Well, let me answer it this way, Gene. In 2005, I had open-heart surgery. I had an ascending aortic aneurysm. All I cared about was I wanted the doctor that gave me the best chance of waking up after that surgery. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make. Right, and I had a whole team of folks. And you know what? Um, Looking back on the doctors at Presbyterian Hospital, UPMC, I mean, they came from Diffic different ethnic backgrounds, but they were my doctors. I could care less about the color of skin. I want the guy who knows what he's doing. Exactly. Well, you know, the the left, they love diversity, unless it's diversity of thought, okay? You know, to them, diversity is all about skin color or or ethnicity. It's never about thought. And I thought the whole purpose of diversity was to be able to take people who came with different backgrounds and experiences and, you know, assimilate into this melting pot. Yeah. And that's what made us stronger, mm-hmm. not when they come and just celebrate all the differences. Yeah. You know, and they use that to divide us. I think that that's crazy. Yeah. But that seems to be, you know, something that they're very fond of doing. Now, to the pressing question here, Gene, when do you think Mike Tomlin needs to pull the trigger and put Kenny Pickett in? Uh, I, don't, I don't know much about that. I'll just tell you about the last game where uh, they lost. They had one yard to go. It was only something like two minutes or something, and he decides to punt. I mean, to the Browns, I mean, the Browns could have run that time down to this, like the last 15 or 20 seconds. You only had a yard to go. Go for the first down. That way, if you get it, you could have run the tw- 10 or 12 yards and got the touchdown, and then ran the two points. I don't understand his reasoning for doing that at all. That that was what really got me with uh, (sighs) – Well, doesn't he tell us – he says, we don't live in our fears. Okay? Well, I mean, certainly we're concerned there. But didn't he have enough confidence in his offense to get one more yard? It was fourth down, but, I mean, you were going to lose the game if he punted back to the Browns. 
Uh, my, well, we did lose the game. Yeah. Now, now for <laughs> hey, all you folks out there who are listening and wondering why John is still so quiet over there and why I'm so B8, it's because when we were talking about corporal punishment earlier, Gene took off his belt <laughs> and it's still sitting on the table there. So John and I remember what it was like growing up and we're going to be good kids because we don't want any <laughs> trouble, you know, from Gene. So, well, I guess we'll, we'll give him the well, last word. Well, yeah. And again, if folks want to help you, you said they could use, you could certainly use some folks to help door knock with you or to do uh, literature drops. Yeah. You know, get your pamphlet out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they wanted to donate to your campaign, uh, where would they go? Okay. Uh, they could donate to the Republican Committee of the City of Pittsburgh. Uh, do you have the address or? Uh, I mean, they could just send any donations to our office. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. 100 Fleet Street, uh, uh, Green Tree. Well, we got here. Yeah. If you want to donate to Gene's campaign, you can make a donation at our website at www.alleghenyallegheny.gop. There's a link there to donate, and then just drop us a line at the contact and let us know, hey, I want this money going to Gene Boker. And we'll take and make sure that it gets to him. Thank you. So, folks, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, in closing, let's pray for all those affected by the storm. You know, after it leaves Florida, I know it's going up. Looks like it's going to hit South Carolina. You know, if it doesn't, uh, again, hurricanes are funny things. It's hard to tell exactly where they're going to go. So many times they, you know, change, but, uh, for all the people here in this hurricane's path, let's pray for them and their families and uh, like to take this opportunity to thank you all for tuning in. Until next week, this is Sam DeMarco, John Schneider, Dazzling Daryl, and our guest, Gene Boker, from the Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM.